0: Okay, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 11 and go into chapter 6 today. We're going to talk about Paul's message of reconciliation. Now, let me just kind of guide you a little bit of where we're going here in this letter. Remember, one of the big issues that Paul is struggling with as he's writing this church is is that some of the false teachers or some... Individuals in the Corinthian church were calling into question Paul's integrity. Calling into question Paul's ministry as an apostle. They were questioning him as an apostle. Which is ironic because Paul's the one who started the church. And they should have known better. But for some reason they were listening to these individuals. And so Paul's writing this letter and at the heart of what he's writing he's talking about his integrity. He's talking about his validity as the As an apostle, and so he's been going through different things, talking about the ministry and and being a minister. Now he's going to talk about his message. Now remember, last week we looked at his perspective. He had an eternal perspective of why he did things. Now we're going to get to the heart of what his message is to others. Now, I think this is a very important lesson for us. Because sometimes we can confuse what we share with others as far as what the gospel is. Does everybody understand? You can get confused as to what the main thing is. So, for instance, some people might think that the main thing is just to get people to church. Or if I could just get them to church. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If they come to church but never, ever accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, is that going to mean anything? No, it isn't going to mean anything. All it meant was is that they took up their Sunday mornings going to church. See, we have to make sure that we get into perspective what the message is. What the message is. And so we're going to look at that today. It's, it's really a message of reconciliation. And ultimately, it's a message of reconciliation between who? Yeah, Christ and what did you say, Bruce? No. Yeah, and, and them or us. Yeah, between man and God. It's a reconciliation between man and God. And that's the heart of his message. Because here's another thing, sometimes we can confuse the world around us to think that the message is that everybody's got to clean up their life. And that's what the world thinks. The world thinks is that what the church is is propagating to it is that you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't go with women who do. I mean and that's, you know, you know, and that's that's the you know, that's the whole perspective, isn't it? Now of course we don't want you to do those things, okay? But, honestly, but your salvation does not have anything to do with that. you understand what I'm saying? That's not the message. Because some people have the perception that the message is I've got to clean up my life first before I come to Christ. Oh, really? Out, outward actions are a reflection of the inward heart. You've got to change the heart first before the outward gets cleaned up. And so people have to come to Jesus first before they deal with the outward actions. And just think about your life for a moment. Aren't you cleaning up things in your life right now? You know, it's, 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 and it's a, nobody's ever arrived. You continue to deal with it. Like, for instance, I've shared with you before, when I became a believer at the age of 19, I smoked and I drank. Now, within the first year of salvation, I gave up those habits. Actually, those were easier to give up than me dealing with my attitudes. Me dealing with the inward things of my heart. And you and I both know that if you've been at church a long enough time, and you've seen some dear saints who still struggle with issues like gossip and things like that, and it's like, when are they ever going to get over it? And actually, I'll be honest with you, whereas smoking destroys the lungs of the person who's doing the smoking, gossip destroys what? Yeah, it destroys other people, doesn't it? So, we, we've, we've got to watch what our message is. So, let's talk about what our message is today. See the message of reconciliation. So, let's notice with me first, verses 11 through 15 as we see the motivation for service. Paul's motivation for service. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves against, again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judged thus, if that one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So let's talk about his motivation. First of all, he's going to talk about the first thing of his motivation is an issue of reverence. And so he talks about a reverence for God. And that is, Paul was motivated to share Christ because of the coming judgment. Notice what he says here as he describes the coming judgment. He describes the coming judgment as what? The terror of the Lord. Paul's making no bones about what's coming. The judgment is not... How many of you have been to court? Raise your hand. It's actually kind of boring, isn't it? And in these days, you know, I've been to court many times and I've I've sat through court session, general session, even here in Clearfield County. And, you know... A lot of times the people who come before it who are defendants, young young people who maybe have gotten themselves in trouble a lot of times with drug-related things or something, it is amazing because sometimes there's a, there's even an arrogance there. Even in our court system, you would think that they would be like, oh, my goodness, this is the court system. No, no, not necessarily, especially depending on what kind of lawyer they have. on what kind of lawyer they have. But I'm going to tell you something. Our court system is in no comparison to what's coming as far as the judgment. Paul describes it in this way. He describes it as the terror of the Lord. That it is something awesome and terrifying that everyone is going to have to stand before God for. Now, for you and I who are believers, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, it's not something that we need to worry about in terms of our salvation. But remember what we talked about before. You and I are still going to have to give an account for what? For our lives. How we lived our lives. What we did. And I remember that Paul says in Romans that every idle word will be brought into judgment. So, again, like I mentioned to you, think about some silly conversation you had last week. Do you remember every detail of it? How many of you can remember what you said a year ago? You maybe remember some profound moment, but how about just an everyday conversation? Think about the person you got into a fight with or a conflict with two years ago. Do you remember what you said to them? How many of you remember? Now, some of you do because you remember and you'll bring it up in the next fight. But just for a moment, though, most of us don't really remember. But the Bible makes it very clear that every aspect of our life is going to be brought into judgment. Just thinking about that aspect of having every conversation brought up, isn't that terrifying? Isn't that terrifying? I'm going to be honest with you. It's terrifying, isn't it? When you think about it, every idle word, that is a terrifying thing. And to stand before the awesome God and have to give an account for that? Don't worry, when you stand before Him, you'll remember. It won't be, oh, I didn't remember that one, Lord. No, no, you'll remember. You'll remember at that time. You can't remember now, but you'll remember later. So, Paul's motivated to share the gospel because of the coming judgment. Now, think about that. His motivation for people and them hearing the gospel is, is because of this terror that's coming? Is that your motivation? Like for instance, let me bring it down to home because here's what my point is is I think we have a better chance of sharing with our friends, our relatives, our associates, those are the people that we work with and our neighbors about Jesus than just total strangers. The statistics state that people will talk about spiritual things with people they know, not with total strangers. So when you think about your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, how do you look at them? If they don't know Jesus, how do you look at them? Has it dawned on you this week that if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell? Has that gripped you? The reality of the fact that if they don't know Jesus... They're going to hell. See, that's what motivated the apostle Paul. Except, think about Paul. Paul's not being selfish here. He's not just, he's thinking about in terms of everybody. Like, for instance, when you go to Walmart, that's, that's, the, that's the community gathering point, isn't it? I mean, you'll see somebody at Walmart. It, you just guarantee you go to Walmart, you're going to talk to somebody. Because that's where everybody, I mean, that's the central location now in our community is where you're going to meet people is at Walmart. Now, when's the last time you went to Walmart and you just stepped back for a moment and and looked around and, and, and thought for a moment that a majority of these people in here are going to hell? Now, yesterday when I was at Walmart, there was somebody who was very irritating. I mean, they're, they're getting pretty bad now. It's a week before Christmas and you might say, well, I, they maybe need to go. But no, you know, but don't, don't. That forget your anger for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. Are you motivated to share the gospel? Are you motivated because of an understanding of what's happening with people? Listen, do you know there's one thing that's constant on the radio every week besides the news? It's the obituary column. Very rarely do they say that they don't have any report to give. Because people are dying in our community every day. And the fact is, most of them are dying without who? Yes. And without the Savior, they're going where? Hell. See, that's his point. He had a reverence for God and that motivated him to share the message because of the coming. Now, notice now his status. Just as God recognizes who Paul was, he hopes that the Corinthians would. Now, I want you to notice what he says to them. But we are well known to God and I trust are well known in your consciences. Now, again, remember what the underlying problem is here. They're questioning who Paul is. That's why he's making this statement. When you understand that there's this issue of Paul's credibility here and his integrity and a question of his ministry going on here, you understand why Paul is making this point to them. He's saying, guys, God knows who I am. You should too in your consciences. Because in your conscience, they should understand that he's the one who started the church. He's the one who brought them the message of the gospel. And so he's telling them, look, his status is just as God recognized who Paul was, he hopes that the Corinthians would. He hopes that the Corinthians would. Now, look, notice Paul's sensitivity now. A couple things here. Paul was sensitive about commending himself to them. Look at verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. Paul's sensitive to the fact that he doesn't want to keep telling them what they should already know. He doesn't want to spend his time... Listing out his credentials over and over and over again to them. So he's very sensitive to commending himself to them. Stop for a moment. This is, you know, sometimes I'll be honest with you, pastors struggle with this. And what they struggle with is, is sometimes always wanting to establish their credibility with people. And young pastors especially. And I remember when I was a younger pastor, I did the same thing. Always wanting to establish credibility. And a lot of times how they establish credibility is by focusing on what? Anybody have any idea what young pastors tend to focus on? What do they, to establish their credibility with people, what do they tend to focus on? Okay, yep, that's one thing. I've got these, these the diplomas. You know, I had a gentleman in my church, he was a good friend. He's now, he's now passed on and gone with the Lord. He looked at my degrees and says, you know, they're, they're like the curly tail on a pig. And I said, what? He said, looks good on a pig, but it doesn't add anything to the flavor of the ham. For a young pastor, I needed to hear that, okay? All right, so education, what else do young pastors tend to focus on? To commend themselves to people. How about Titles. They often insist on being called what? Well, if they have a doctorate, very rare. Very rare for a young pastor to have a doctorate yet, but they want to be called pastor or reverend. You know, call me pastor. You want to call them Bubba, but they want to call it. Call me Pastor Bubba. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, they're insisting. Because, why are they doing that? Because they're insecure in themselves. They they feel like they have to keep showing themselves. And look, I've been there. Where you have to, you can ask my wife, she could say yes, George has been there. Where they have to insist on those things because they want to commend themselves to the people. But there are better ways to commend yourselves than that. But what Paul's saying here is he's sensitive about wanting to do that kind of stuff with them because that's what the false teachers were doing. The false teachers were showing up and this is what they were doing. They were saying, hey, we sat at the feet of Peter. We sat at the feet of John. We're from Jerusalem. We're Jewish. We know the scripture. That's the kind of thing that they were doing. They were commending themselves. And Paul wants to make sure that they understand that he's not sensitive to doing the same thing. The Corinthians should have ha- ha- should have more than enough pride in him. The next thing he wants to say to them is this. But if... But give you the opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. He's saying, look, you guys should be more than, you should be more than ready to answer these guys who are questioning my integrity or questioning my ministry because you could say, hey, we are the spiritual children of the Apostle Paul. He started our church. Rather than guys who show up and they're boasting in their what? Notice what he uses. He uses a couple things here. Their appearance, but not in heart. See, this is the problem. Sometimes pastors will do this. They will boast in their appearance, but they don't have a heart for people. They don't have a heart for people. See, you know what? I've learned this now. And really the key thing, and and you wish you could tell others this, is that the way to commend yourself to people is not through titles, not through education, but through service, through heart. Then you gain their respect. So now, then he responds to the criticism. Verse 13, Paul responds to the criticism, and this is what he says, was he thinks about the issue of the criticism. Paul points out that if he is crazy, it is for God. Look at what he says, verse 15. For if we are beside ourselves... It is for God beside ourselves. You ever talk about, are you beside yourself or something? That's where that statement comes from. He says, if I'm crazy, which is what some of them were saying as Paul was crazy. He says, I'm crazy for God. I'm crazy for God. So then he says this next point here. Paul also points out that if he is sane, that is, if he has his mental capacity, it is for their sake. It is for their sake. So he's saying, if I'm crazy, it's for God. But if I'm sane, that is, or if we are of sound mind, he says, it's for you. It's for you. Then notice what he's compelled by in verse 14 and 15. Notice what he says here. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So here's what he's saying. He's compelled by love. So Paul tells them that he was compelled by the love of Christ. That's his motivation for doing what he's doing. He is compelled by love, a love for Jesus Christ. He's compelled by that. Let me ask you a question. Are you compelled by that? Some of you do things for church and you know you maybe hold positions or service or whatever. Or some of you do things in the name of Christ, but is the reason why you do them a love for Jesus? Or is the motivation different? So, we see there that he is telling them that he's compelled by the love of Christ. Now, here's what he's saying. Another thing he's making here. Because of the death of Christ... We can no longer live just for ourselves. Listen, if you're a saved person, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you need to grasp the point that it's not about you. You need to grasp the point that your life is not about you. Quit focusing on you. It's not about you. The point is, is that if you are saved and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your life is for a different purpose now. Than just you. But that's all we do is focus on me, isn't it? It's me. Me. Oh, excuse me, the big three. Me, myself, and I. But see, it's not about us. And that's what Paul's saying. Look, for, because of Christ's death, we've all died to our old selves. We've all been raised up with him. I've been thinking a lot about that this week. About the issue of being raised up with Jesus. And what I've been thinking about is it's reflected presently and in a future sense. Presently it's reflected in that I've, as I've been raised up with Christ, I've been given a new capacity for life. I don't have to keep living the life the old way. Isn't that what we say when we baptize someone? Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in what? Newness of life. You've got a new capacity. The future aspect of that being risen with him is that I know that I'm going to rise physically at the resurrection. So, what we're seeing is, is that Paul's saying because of the death of Christ, we can no longer live just for ourselves. And look, you've you've witnessed it. I mean, some of you have been around a long time and now you've witnessed churches where maybe a pastor was living for himself or maybe some individual in the church was living for themselves. What happened to the church when you had that kind of thing going on? Yeah, you got problems, don't you? Because the focus is all out of whack. And let me just say this. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about who? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so now look at verse 16 through 17. He's going to get into the message now, which is reconciliation in Jesus. Verse 16 through 21. Notice what he says here. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation." That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become The righteousness of God in him. Wow. What a powerful passage. Let's look at it. First of all, there's a change in outlook. Verse 16, he says this. Paul could no longer see people from a human perspective. He could no longer see people from a human perspective. Do you understand what he's saying there? He could no longer just see people from the perspective of humanity. No longer. He had to view them simply, not just as everyday Joe that he'd rub shoulders with every day, but he had to see them from a perspective of a spiritual perspective of where were they in light of eternity. Where were they in light of their relationship with Jesus Christ? Think about that for a moment. You're going to, you know, here in the next week, you're going to be spending time with family at Christmas. Some of the family you're going to rub shoulders with Don't know Jesus. Now, are you going to think thus about them? Boy, I wish they would lay off the cheese ball. You know, they're just, I won't have any for me when I get up there. Or do you think, there's Joe. He still doesn't know Jesus, he's struggling in his health. And the reality hits you. But without Jesus, what? You know, you love Joe. But if Joe doesn't know Jesus, you're never going to see Joe again. See, Paul is saying here that Paul is saying he could no longer see people from a human perspective. From a human perspective. He could no longer see them from just a human perspective. He had to see them in light of eternity. Can I ask you something? How many of you, be honest. How many of you have that perspective of people? How many of you don't? Okay, I'll raise my hand with you. Here's what I've started praying. And I've asked the people on Sunday night to start praying this. When they come for time of prayer. Does God break our hearts for the community? Break our hearts for the community. You know what it's going to take for you to break your heart for the community? Is to ask God to really show you the people of the community. What do you mean by that? I see them every day. Yeah, you see them, but do you really see them? You ever met somebody who's totally focused on something, and you'll wave at them, wave at them, and they don't even see you? Because their focus is... Whatever they're going to do, you know. Isn't that how we live in our life? What we need to do is ask God to break our hearts, isn't it? To give us a perspective that's not human, but a a God-centered perspective to see people as they really are. And let God break our hearts for people. See, that's what he's saying here. See, and that's so important. If you and I are going to talk about the message of reconciliation, which we will here in a moment, we got kind of to have the perspective of seeing people, not just from a human standpoint, but from the perspective that what? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Okay, let's go on then. He had to see them from the perspective of the cross. See, the central focus in Paul's mind and life is that they, what? Do they know Jesus? Have they come to the cross? Have they come to the cross? Have they come to the cross? So he had to see them from that perspective. So then here's what he goes on. So now he's going to get into the heart of the message, of the message of reconciliation. And he's going to say this, a person who is in Christ becomes a new creature. Let me ask you a question. What's a common statement that we usually refer to ourselves as Christians? Okay, born again is one, but another one that's even more popular. Even songs are even written about it. I'm just a what? Saved by grace. The focus of a lot of message today is is that you're just a dirty, rotten what? Sinner. I want you to understand something. The Bible does say you are a sinner and that you will sin. However, what I want you to understand about the Scripture is this, is that the Scripture, whenever it talks about who you are and your identity as how God sees you and who you are because of Jesus Christ, I want you to notice you will never see it say that you are a what? Sinner. You'll never hear it say, very rotten sinner. You'll never be referred to as the wicked. It will always refer to you based upon who you are now in Jesus. And so, for instance, right here it says, verse 17, look what it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. You're a new person. Well, I got up the next morning and I sure didn't look the same. Yeah, but you're you're looking at the outward. You you need to understand that the, the inward person changed. You are a new person in Jesus. And notice what it says. And here Paul goes on and he wants to describe it just a little bit further. than just saying you're a new creation. Notice what he says. What? Old things have what? Passed away. What does he say then? Behold what? All things become new. So the old life and all the junk of the old life is what? Gone. As far as God's concerned, it's gone. And What does it say? Behold, all things have what? Become what? No. See... Can me grasp this? If you're wrestling here today with how God sees you, He sees you, oh, He just sees me as a dirty, rotten, no-good sinner. He thinks about what I did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago or last week or just an hour ago. Whatever. You're listening to a lie. You're listening to a lie. Because that is not true. If you are in Christ, what does He say about you? You are a What? New creature in Christ. A new creation. A new person. Wow, isn't that awesome? See, that's the message you can give people. But you know what? Why it's so hard for us to share the message of reconciliation with others is because we ourselves don't believe it. We have not grasped the reality that we are a new person in Jesus. We we don't understand it for our life. Okay, we got to stop here. We're going to finish up next week. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.